Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And on this very special episode of Geek Top 5, uh, please rise because court is in session and our geek cards are up for review. <laughs> ah, I love it. Uh, yeah, so, so give me give me the premise for this. I think you got it nailed down better than I do. So, no geek is perfect. I mean, being a geek, it means being very, 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 very enthusiastic about something. Um, and you know you can be a geek about you can be a geek about cars you can be a geek about fighter planes you can be a geek about Prussian military history, but there are certain things that it's sort of expected that geeks will know or certain things that geeks will understand, and the fact of the matter is that even here at the levels of mastery that being a geek top five staff member requires. There are certain things that might be interpreted by our audience as blasphemous, um, confessions, perhaps. And uh, we have decided, for reasons that we will probably regret, that we are <laughs> going to be outing ourselves today. Graham and I have another round of dueling lists. These are our top five things that might cost us our cred with the geek crowd. Big time, big time. It's a dangerous ground that we're treading here. Do you mind if I go first? Please, Graham. Lead us in. What is your number five? I, I want to do this in a, a Band-Aid sort of style here because it's we're starting at number five. So this is the one I, I have the least sort of problem with or, or whatever, but I think it actually might be my most controversial choice depending on our okay. audience. So let's just get it out of the way. My number five is Ghostbusters. As in? The, TV, the movies, the cartoon everything i don't i don't get it i don't get what the big deal is i right yep that's that's been hinted at before <laughs> and it's been it's been shaky ground i've i i enjoy the first movie as a novelty but when it's over i don't i don't really need to know more about that world i don't it doesn't i don't know it has this sort of cachet at least in some circles as one of the hallmark comedies of the 80s and uh, whenever I watch it, I get a couple chuckles out of it. But generally, I'm like, eh, it was fine. It doesn't, it doesn't grab me like some other things. Like uh, even like Back to the Future, I think is is a funnier, more captivating movie. There, oh there's... my god, that's whew, that's that that comparison, especially that's a little hot under the collar. Really? Like what? You think Ghostbusters is better than than Back to the Future? I enjoy the comedy of Ghostbusters more than the comedy of Back to the Future. Wow. I'll admit the Back to the Future trilogies are probably more complete experiences. Like I, I might be willing to go as far as saying better movies, but the Ghostbusters have like, tickled my funny bone in a very specific way um, that Back to the Future does not meet at all. That's fair. I, I also, I just can't help but see and once i learned that eddie murphy was originally approached to play the winston character you know the the sort of token black guy in the movie which is which is what he is let's be honest here like winston is great absolutely in the first one yeah yeah but imagine if that had been eddie murphy like he would have stolen that show from beginning to end it would have been a completely different movie instead of being three uh well four middle-aged men 
trying to find something to do with their lives. You get three guys like that and this young hotshot. It would have been a completely different movie. And I, I can't... And he's so funny, especially in that era. I think it would have been a much better experience. Uh, Bill Murray's great. I think he's really funny. I just don't think he's that funny in this movie. I don't... Man, I mean, I definitely would not want to see Eddie Murphy in that role. Really? I, I wouldn't want to see him in really? that role. I wouldn't want him playing, like, in old age makeup, playing Winston. But I'd want to see a new version of that character that fits Eddie Murphy. I will grant you, yeah, Winston is, he's almost entirely a straight man in that movie. And the fact that he shows up halfway through it, like, it it hurts him, for sure. Like, he's not one of the the highlights of it. But the thing you're talking about that you don't like, the, like, just the, the plain old guys who are just a little weird and dealing with this paranormal situation in a bureaucratic way, like, in a, like, you know, they're, they're like plumbers for the undead. That kind of bizarreness to it, I think that's unique, and I think that's special. Dan Aykroyd's insane, just like everything he's got, oh, just like the you know, Tunguska sponge migration of 1972. Every one of those, just the plain, blase way he, of course, that's what this is, way he delivers that every time it kills me. Does it, does it change anything that that's not Dan Aykroyd playing a character, that's just Dan Aykroyd? No, I, I like that even better. <laughs> there is, it, it, it delights me to know that there's very little difference between Ray and Dan. Uh, <laughs> I just like and just all the weird, like the, all the lines, the one-off lines that indicate that things aren't quite right with these guys. When they're in the firehouse, Dan Aykroyd, hey, does this pole still work? And he slides down the pole. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I also the thing the other thing about it that boggles my mind is that it they made it a kids cartoon at one point in the late eighties early nineties and I I just like I know Ace Ventura wasn't meant to be a kids movie but if Jim Carrey is so rubbery faced and so over the top that he appeals to children I don't see what about this movie is meant to appeal to children on any level that they thought making a cartoon out of it was a good idea. And and I, I know I people. I can't. Yep. We know right, people ahead. who who loved this movie as a kid, and I, I you might have been one of them. It wasn't top of my list, but yeah, it was there. I had a Ghostbusters firehouse, like you know, a boy's dollhouse basically, and I had an <laughs> Ecto one car. Right. Like, you know, like, probably about the same age your kid is now, and and the action, like the action figures from the cartoon, and you could like you could press down the back, and their jaws would open because they were screaming because of ghosts. I think I remember I those just, toys from your basement. Probably. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those seminal franchises from when I was growing up. God, I wonder if the, that Ghostbusters firehouse is still in my mom's basement somewhere, because now that's... That's, that's an off-mic conversation. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but no, it was just one of those things that, I mean, I liked it as a kid. And I mean, I it, because it was funny and because it was silly. And I mean, I appreciated the jokes differently when I was five than when I was 35. You know, like I really liked Slimer and because he ate so much and it just fell back out of him. Right. The the, uh, the special effects and the gags, the, the physical gags, I think are good. But I just don't like I don't I don't see anything that I really like in any of the main characters. Like Janine, I think, is the funniest character in that movie. <laughs> Janine is pretty funny, uh, but just how bizarre they are. I mean, I, I, I can 
and, and you talk about being controversial. I can get it. I do understand why it might not be a person's cup of tea because it is a very bizarre, very specific, very niche kind of humor. This sort of awkward things are off kilter kind of humor, but it plays well with me. I don't think it's as controversial as you think. I don't think everybody loves Ghostbusters except you. Man, it seems uh, like it. But <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. I, and it's that, that might I, also just be the crowd we hang out with. <laughs> That's fair. And it's not. I just want to make it clear. I don't dislike the movies. I just don't like them as much as as everyone else seems to. Like, I think it's a fine movie, but I feel like it should be kind of a footnote of the '80s rather than a staple. I, I, hey, and. We can all agree the theme song is amazing. I think that is... Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> ...without dispute. <laughs> but to have one decades later sequel already come out, or remake, or whatever you want to call it, and then another one on the way, it just, it's so weird that they're, the it has such cachet, to me anyway. All right, yeah, no, I can understand why you'd be worried about <laughs> that, saying that in confession, but here we are. Now everybody knows. Uh, what's my... Do I have to do... Or all yeah, fathers. I don't know. That works. <laughs> doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Okay, what's your number five? My number five, um, similar. I, I wonder if it's maybe even more severe. Um, I mean, I call myself a geek, but I don't know anything about Doctor Who, and I don't care. Ah. <laughs> uh, I do think, and I I gotta tell you, like this is maybe one of the longest running science fiction television shows of all time. I mean, arguably, it's been running continuously for fifty years. Uh, And I don't, I don't, like I know you're not supposed to, like I know his name isn't Doctor Who, right? And you're not supposed to spell it D R dot. Apparently, that's a thing. I think that's within the fan world. I don't think that's canonical, but I hear you. But he's so he's a British guy, and he he travels through time in the TARDIS. And I don't. It, it's not just that I don't know anything about it. It's just it's never it never blips on my radar. And especially with the I feel like in mid two thousand, like where the sort of the the current revival of the show happened, it's been everywhere. Like it, just and I I just it doesn't it it does not blip on my radar at all. I'm just not interested. Well, I I do think you're missing out, especially with some of the the more recent stuff. And and just so we're clear, it's not a continuous run. It did peter out in the late 80s, early 90s, and then there was a Fox TV movie to make, like, an American version of it, and it it lasted just that movie. Eric Roberts is the villain in it, and and that was the one movie. But they made it so that it fit the continuity, so it still counts. It's not, like, a complete reboot. And then since that failed... They relaunched it with Christopher Eccleston in uh, 2001, 2002, something like that. I should know that. But I started watching with that run. Like, I, I came to it late, but I went back to that era, the Christopher Eccleston one, and watched it all the way through Matt Smith and into Peter Capaldi a bit. And it's 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 cheesy, but it is so charming, and the doctors are all great, and the, the differences between them and their relationships are all very fascinating, and there's a lot of fun time travel stuff that you can't get away with in other shows, and that's like, week in, week out, that's what they do. But really, so, so, what grabs me is the relationships between the, the characters. 
so it's mostly a character focus kind of thing. It's not so much about the story or the the sci-fi. It's just good characters and then how they bounce off each other. That's what I would say, especially at the beginning. Like the sci-fi and the plotting and the writing in the first few seasons of the the relaunch are shaky, let's say. Uh, and then it really picks up. But the, it's the characters and the performances that really keep you going. And and I think it's great. And there, there's all this sort of stuff that goes around with it. The TARDIS and the sonic screwdriver and and his catchphrases. They're all really fun to be. It's fun to be in that community. It's it's such a generally a lighthearted show. And there, there's sad moments and dark moments in it. But episode to episode, it's just like people running around getting into shenanigans. It's great. And can you figure, I mean, you know me pretty well. Can you figure out why it just doesn't? Like, like, there's something missing from it. It's just not getting my attention. Can you tell what it is? Um, I think it's the... I, I just don't think the it's grounded enough for you, would be my guess. Like, in the sense that, what, it's too fantastical? Yeah. Eh, okay. Like, the rules of the universe aren't set in stone. They're, they're constantly bending things and breaking their own rules to make for a more entertaining episode. And, I mean, that would bug me. I don't know if that would show up in, like, the commercials and make me not want to watch it. But you're right. That is something that would get on my nerves. Okay, okay. Maybe it's the the melodrama of it. The, the emotions in it are always very heightened. So it's it's like people yelling and people being very passionate about things, and, and I don't know that that would necessarily appeal to you. Yeah, maybe. I will say I don't know. that going back to the original ones, the, the classic Doctor Whos, I've only seen a few of those, and the, the sets, the like cardboard sets that are shaking as they run around them, it really takes me out of the episodes. But I feel like if I gave it a chance, the doctors, even in those, would would be enough to like charm me into watching more of it. Yeah, I mean, I I I forgive a lot of classic science fiction and classic fantasy for that matter. Like, I'm not going to blame something for its sets. You know, your original Star Trek isn't always that great either. It I, like wait, if you watch <laughs> Doctor Who from that same time period, you will have a whole new appreciation for what they were able to do on Star Trek. Uh, so it's sort of the Babylon 5 to Deep Space Nine, that kind of thing? I I think it's more like uh, cave paintings to Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely have to watch it now. What a great pitch. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, I don't know if there's anything else more to say about it. It's just, it's this weird blind spot in my brain. Like, I just, I just have never been interested. I don't know what it is. Um, meh, meh, sure. Sorry, folks. At least it's out there. That whew, that burden off my shoulders. <laughs> I, I I will say that if you do ever want to get into it, it can be daunting. Like a lot of comic books that have gone on for ages, it's hard to know where a good starting point is. But I feel like a good starting point is always when there's a new doctor. And this current doctor, Jodie Whittaker, she's on her, I think her second year is about to start, so you're real fresh with her, and I've watched a few of her episodes, and I've really enjoyed them. The Peter Capaldi ones kind of lost me for whatever reason, but she seems like a really good fit, and I I do want to watch more at some point. So there you go. That that would be your jumping on point. I'll keep it in mind if my attitudes change. (laughs) Also, I think one of her companions is named Graham, so, you know, all the more reason to watch. Well, yeah, now I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your companion. She's got her own gram. It's perfect. Yeah. 
All right, what's your jeez? What, what's your number four? So this one, I I uh, I think we're definitely going to agree on. We're going to have a lot to say on this one. For me, number four is Big Bang Theory. Ah, yeah, that didn't even it didn't make it to my list, but yeah, yeah, I think we're on the same page here. Uh, but, but here, don't let me cut you off. Tell me about this. Ah, uh, frankly, it's it's part it's part of geek community for whatever reason. Geeks tend to like it. It's it's at comic book conventions. It's depicted everywhere. People wear the shirts. I cannot understand why, because all I see when I look at it is people making fun of geeks. And yeah, they're the main characters. And yeah, they're the, the stars of the show. But they are such over-the-top caricatures. And they're always the butt of the joke. It's really hard for me to watch it and and not feel at least sort of insulted. Yeah, it feels offensive. I feel the same way. Watching Big Bang Theory is like going to a zoo where people like me are the like the animals in the exhibits. And all the, the sort of, you know, of, of people who aren't geeks like are sort of pointing and laughing and buying overpriced peanuts. The the jokes in this show tend to be character references the name of a science fiction franchise and then the laugh track plays for 90 seconds. And yeah. that's from what I can tell, that appears to be like the story bible for the entire show. And to be fair, a lot of like I watched a few episodes when it was new and hated it, and haven't turned it on since. And I've had this conversation with people where they tell me, "Oh, it's gotten better," but I think by better they just mean that like the characters have become like like they're all dating each other now, basically. And right. so, it, it, like like the characters have progressed, but the show still seems awful to me. Yeah, I I don't. I haven't watched it extensively, but I've seen reruns on TV now and then, and I, I do know people who love it, and, and every once in a while I'll give it another shot, and it's just painful to watch. I think the the one thing that keeps me not just completely hating it is that, uh, what's his name, Jim Parsons, who plays Sheldon, he does a very good performance, but it's and it's it's not enough. It's still insulting. I, I get that most of the guys playing the geeks are geeks themselves, but that doesn't really make it better. And it's it's just. I mean, ah. I would, I would like for comparison's sake, I would say compare that portrayal of geeks in the geek community versus the portrayal of geeks in the geek community in Galaxy Quest. Right, Galaxy Quest, those obsessive compulsive super dorks like fans of the show are treated like with love you know when they're at the convention and they're the guys in the you know no trademark infringement klingon suits <laughs> and stuff like it's it, it's self-identifying but like it, it but while you're laughing at it you feel good to be a part of it it the big bang theory approach is i feel like i'm being laughed at yeah. not with it feels more finger pointy like like it's not like join us. It's not waving us in and being like, "This is us. This is we can make fun of each other because we're all pals here." It's like, let's make fun of the freaks. The other thing that that occurs to me about it is it's kind of got a, a there's there's a comparison to be made with Frasier. Okay, <laughs> and I, I like Frasier a lot too. But elaborate. They're both sitcoms that star hyper intelligent people who can't quite function in the real world and they are always the butt of the jokes and it's I, I don't know maybe it's just be, I, I like I really like Frasier and I'll watch those episodes a lot and it's sort of fun to see this uh, this 
guy, this pompous guy and his, his pompous family get taken down a notch or two. But but with Big Bang Theory, these guys are are inept. They're socially awkward. They're geniuses, but they can't get anything done. And I don't I don't gain anything. It's like punching down on some level with them. And it, it's I feel like I'll, some of it comes from the the audience enjoys watching these super smart guys fail you know like ah they're not so smart i i'm better at dating girls than them or you know i can i i, I can do my own laundry and i'm not a weirdo about it so they're not so great that it feels like there's that kind of energy to it yeah you're right i get the same thing so yeah at the end of the day yeah i guess we don't have that much to say about it we agree completely <laughs> just as that as far as we're concerned, that show is garbage, but apparently we're like the only ones because it's super popular, even among fellow geeks. Yeah. So are we just hypersensitive? Maybe. Doesn't feel like it, though. I I'm sure we'll, we'll get some feedback on that one. Yeah, sure. Okay, so what's your number four? My number four? Um, so not as extreme, but I, I don't get the fascination with anime. Hmm. Um, so anime, Japanimation, I, I tried to figure out exactly, like, what is the what is the textbook definition of this so I can define it on the show for the listeners? And it's basically just that cartoons, you know, drawn in Japan have these common, like, a common style and a common theme, not just in the, like, the, the way that they're drawn, although there's usually a distinctive look, but also the way they approach stories. Um... Which, it's which is hard to narrow down. It's one of those things where it's like I, I don't know if I could describe it, but I know it when I see it, and that's fine. I mean, like even just saying anime, like that's a, that's a very broad generalization. There are hundreds and hundreds of cartoons that you know, with varying levels of depth in the term anime style, but there is a certain kind of geek who loves anime full stop. Like, not even they like this particular show that happens to be a Japanese anime. They love anime, period. And I don't get that. Like, I, I like cartoons, but, you, you know, like I don't have costumes of the Ninja Turtles and stuff, right? Like, the cosplay whole thing is pretty heavily tied to anime, and it's... Whatever you want to celebrate something you're into, that's fine. But it, it, but it's not just one franchise. It's the whole, the the whole. What, I, what do I want to say? For, for, for concept of it, and I don't wow. get it. Huh? That that is. You're throwing a lot of uh, bath or baby out with that bathwater there. There's. Well, yeah. There's all kinds of yeah. There, there are specific shows that I love that are anime. Right. Like, like when we were growing up, the big ones, you know, like Cowboy Bebop, um, Trigun, uh, you know, we were like teenage boys, so we weren't that into it. But another big one was Sailor Moon. Like, like I recognize those. Like the Death Note anime is a more recent one that I love, and I love the manga too. But like, I wouldn't, I'm not that invested in it. It's just a show. Okay, so he, hear me out here. Like, I, I'm not a big anime guy either, but... Especially back in the day, it was there was a niche quality to it, and like a, I wish I had the terminology on the tip of my tongue here, but it's it's sort of like finding something and and realizing it's good and being able to show it to other people, or or you would find it's it was a subculture, right? Yeah, and it was a, I guess it was obscure enough that you'd find it and like be part of something different. 
yeah. I guess, and be able to to share that. I I suppose there's there's like there's certain things that I think I like more than I would otherwise, just because I feel like I'm one of the few people who who does like it. Like uh, there's a this Ridley Scott movie called Kingdom of Heaven, and it kind of got panned when it first came out, and I enjoyed it, and then a director's cut came out, and I really liked it, and I feel like I became a, a prophet for it, like telling people about. Yeah, you, oh, you, you were the brand this. ambassador in our group of friends, saying we have to watch this extended edition of this like 17 hour long <laughs> Orlando Bloom movie. Yeah, and so I feel like I have a deeper connection with that movie than I would otherwise because I feel like I have to tell people about it and it's like there's only a few of us who really get this movie and and it's it's important and people don't understand it. And I feel like the same sort of thing happened with anime back in the day. There would be these extreme cartoons that would come over and and sort of flounder in the market, but a few people would find them on VHS or on TV or at a review theater and really connect with them and then want more stuff like that. And so more started coming over. And as it came over, it... Like, I guess the first one was Akira. And Akira is not very friendly to a mass audience, I don't think. There's a lot of weird junk in it. But it opened the doors. I don't think with without Akira, you wouldn't get Sailor Moon or Dragon Ball Z or any of these other shows. And those are the things that really captivated people's imagination. And I think it, it's a huge field. And I don't think anyone loves anime, period, without any caveats. No one... No well, one... May, maybe not realistically, but that is something... That is common enough in the geek community that, like, that I, I know people who are, oh, that guy is into anime. Right. And that person would say, yeah, I love anime. And then the, the follow-up is, which ones? And then it's ten minutes of just just listing all these things, and, like, half of them are the, the poorly anglicized Japanese titles that I can't even pronounce. <laughs> Well, I think I think it's kind of similar to me and and superheroes, right? Like like there's so many superheroes, and and to be like, oh well, he's the superhero guy, he's the comic book guy, is uh, uh, an easy way to to just sort of explain the stuff that I'm into. But if you talk to me, I can go into a lot more detail about what I know about, what I don't know about, what I like and what I don't like. But it's just sort of easier to be like, ah, he's the superhero guy. But do you remember we went to a we went went to a high school. We went to a <laughs> we high did. school with a we went yeah, we went to high school with a guy who was really into something called Ninja Scroll. Yeah. And he wouldn't shut up about Ninja Scroll <laughs> and like every conversation uh, you'd pass in the hallway, it would be, hey, have I talked to you today about Ninja Scroll? Like he was a, like Jehovah's Witness for Ninja Scroll. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, and again, this is way outside me, so I, correct me if I'm wrong, audience, but as far as I can tell, Ninja Scroll is a vaguely, like, ultra-violent, vaguely pornographic sort of like grindhouse anime. Yeah, I think like, it's the sort of thing that... <laughs> You know, that would be a red flag. He would be taken to the principal's office these days if that's all you could talk about. But but it's like that, like, I don't know. It's just that that level of passion for something that obscure and what you know, seemed weird. And, like, as a geek, I cannot be judging someone else by their <laughs> weird interests. I have plenty of weird interests. But for some reason, when it comes to anime, it just... I don't know. It, it doesn't. It never settled right with me. But but even in that example, that's just like one one tiny facet of anime. Like he, that guy wasn't interested oh, yeah. in anime as a whole. He was interested in seeing people get their heads cut off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, maybe that is a bad example. Um, further proof that I mean, that's just that I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> but 
But we, I suppose we'll have to leave it at that. Okay, so my number three is, uh, is speaking of comic books and superheroes, my number three is Constantine, um, who is a, a comic book character from the DC Universe and is has had a long-running series. There, how much detail should I go into here? I mean, like, I, we get the gist of it. Like, he's a, he's a comic book character. It's a sort of vaguely, like, based on Christian mythology. Yeah, we um, talked about Keanu it. Reeves did a movie of it. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it with Sean Lewis. Yeah. Listen to that episode if you haven't. So so DC created this this imprint within their comics thing. DC is the one that does Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. And they did this imprint called Vertigo, where there was more mature-themed books that didn't necessarily tie into their mainline superhero stuff. Constantine's comic, Hellblazer, was the longest-running Vertigo title. It went forever, and when it ended, Vertigo ended, basically. So so it's a huge thing, and Vertigo, for a long time, was the art house staple of comic books. If there was a cool book that everyone was talking about that wasn't a superhero book, there was a decent chance it was Vertigo. And some of the best names in the writing business have taken a crack at that character. Jamie Delano, Garth Ennis, Paul Jenkins, Warren Ellis, Brian Azzarello, even Neil Gaiman had a story uh, in that the Hellblazer series, and he brought Constantine into Sandman. He's a big deal. I have not read a single issue of that series. I don't know how I missed it, I don't know what happened to me, but I I missed it and I, go go for it. You speak it. about like you speak with such authority on it though, like you know the character and you know the story. Like have you just picked it up through osmosis. Yeah, you know, especially when the Keanu Reeves movie came out I, around that time. I think I was probably still reading Wizard magazine, so there were a lot of stories about the character to prep you for the movie and like what storylines you should read to get to know him. So I've got a lot of story summaries in my head and, and researching. For this show and for the Sean Lewis show, I picked up some other stuff like he was introduced in the Swamp Thing comic by Alan Moore, and he was the the only reason he was created was because the artists who were working on the book said we want to draw a Sting, and they couldn't actually draw Sting the the singer because <laughs> there would be all sorts of copyright stuff with that. So Alan Moore just created a guy who could look like Sting. That that's it. That's why he exists, and he's become this this big thing. He's on. He has not only did he have the Keanu Reeves movie, but there's also the TV show that came out a few years ago that lasted a season or two. And now the character has migrated to the DC Legends of Tomorrow crew. And the weird thing is, I haven't watched. I didn't watch his solo show, and I haven't been watching Legends of Tomorrow since he came on board. <laughs> Somehow, the, he's cast like a magic spell on me that I just can't see any content with him in it. He's got a gram repelling feel. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know, but like, I, I, I know what you mean in that in the comic book community, that's a big name and that's a big comic, and it's like a fundamental. Fundamental is the wrong word, but it's like it's an important part of how comics have evolved. But outside of the comic community, like even in the in the modern day, where everybody is sort of in the comic book community, thanks to the MCU, I don't know that a lot of people would recognize Constantine. Like, I think your best bet. Is you'd say Constantine, and they'd say who, and you'd say you know Keanu Reeves did that movie, right? Yes, I, I feel like that's all you'd get. So like, I feel like maybe this is a case of just because you are so dialed into the comic book things, you might be. Well, what I'm saying is, don't worry so much about this one. I think this is okay. <laughs> well, I think this is. I, I think it hurts my cred as the comic book guy. And so it's a, it's a hard one to bring up. That's why it's number three. Like I get that it's not the biggest. He's not the biggest character in the world, but. He's a big deal. 
within this sort of like artsy superhero comic book community and that's a community that I I, I dabble in or I consider myself a part of on some level and I feel like it's a big black hole for me it's a it's a mark against me and my credibility and and I'm ashamed to be talking about it oof that's uh <laughs> that's some heavy drop I don't know I don't feel like he has the same cred as other even other like gritty comic book characters like I mean he definitely doesn't I don't want to equivalent I don't want to have him on the same level as like the capes and tights crowd so I'm trying to think of other comparable gritty characters and I'm thinking like Frank Castle I wow. guess don't be or, so fancy the Punisher okay sure I, but what I'm saying is like I think a lot more people might recognize the Punisher sure uh, then they would recognize Constantine. I feel like that's a bigger name. I, I do feel like Constantine's a little obscure, I would, even for a comic book guy. I would put him in the, the ranks of Preacher and uh, Transmetropolitan and maybe even Why the Last Man, stories like that. Yeah, yeah, th- those are good equivalents. That's why I'm the comic book guy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't know. I think you're okay with this one. I, I I think a lot, even people, you know, like the people listening to Geek Top Five. There there's some geeks in there. I think a lot of them are probably pretty unfamiliar with Constantine too. I think you're okay. Well, I think for my own personal well-being, I gotta find some some Hellblazer comics and crack them open, just so I can say I've tried it. I've read a few of them. Listen, self improvement is a blessing. You know, you if you want to do something to keep building, like that's that's important. That's a good thing to do. Go for it. <laughs> okay. All right. What's your number three? My number three, a uh, little more worldly. Uh, this is getting into the the rest of these on my list are basically confessions. Um, I I think Harry Potter is. Oh no! I think, <laughs> I think it's fine. Um, I started reading them when they came out, you know, um, I read up to the fourth one, to Goblet of Fire, I thought like, ah, hey, that's cool, it's like, shit's starting to get real, Voldemort's back, that's neat, and then I just never read anymore. I mean, look, I'm not gonna hold this one against you either, I'm in very much the same boat, I watched all of the movies when they came out once, haven't really gone back and watched any of them ever again, started- look what happened, like, yeah. I, I, I remember, I mean, this like I was reading them when they were relatively new. Like, it was just, like, Buzz was just sort of starting. Now, everywhere you look, it's robes and wands and the scarves with the different house colors on them. And, and look, I'm, like, I'm not going to pretend I don't know what all those things are. I do. Uh, my wife is a huge... I mean, I don't want to go with pothead. What would you... What's the, the nomenclature well, for a potter enthusiast? Potterphile? Potterphile, maybe. My wife is a huge Potterphile. <laughs> like my, like you know, my mother's really into it. That's, you know, we had friends who went to the the Harry Potter land in the states, and they got the whole kit and caboodle. We like as a friends group, we had to marathon all the movies. And by the way, if you haven't read the books, those movies don't make a lick of goddamn sense. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I, look, they're I, more. I will say, I, I, having only watched the movies. I got the gist of what was going on at least enough that I kept coming back and and being able to follow the basic plot of the the movies. But I just like it's not like I don't dislike it. I I liked the books I read. It just it wasn't enough to to it wasn't enough to motivate me to continue. And like like we have the books. I could fill that hole anytime, especially now during quarantine <laughs> life. But I don't know. It just it didn't 
stick with me. And because it's become such a huge thing among other people, I've sort of grown to resent it a little. Like, through no fault of the, the, the wizarding world shared universe or anything, but whenever people are get really into it, I, I kind of roll my eyes. And, and again, not because I don't like it, but just because I just I must be the only person on the planet who didn't get like pricked by this. I, I can't tell I you I can't like, tell you why. Like what you're you're saying really speaks to me. I can't tell you how many times I've been on Twitter or whatever and someone's done a thing comparing real people to Harry Potter characters or they use the term Patronus or, or some other thing from the Harry Potter world and I feel myself rolling my eyes and then I stop and think about all the obscure junk in my head about Star Trek or the X-Men or whatever and I'm like, I... I... I'm just as bad. I just have different things that I'm hooked on and, and can do this sort of comparison for. It's Right, which is what I was saying at the beginning of the episode, like that it's it's okay to be a geek about really obscure things. But this thing in particular has taken over the world. Like I don't know where you could go to find someone who wouldn't like if you show like here's a picture of a guy with like round glasses and dark hair and a lightning bolt scar in his head who wouldn't recognize that well like anywhere Harry Potter isn't like Constantine like or it's or yeah. like Ninja Scroll like Harry Potter is everywhere and I it's so hard to find people who don't love it and I think it's okay so and and it feels like a crime, and I feel guilty. My my book reading version of it, or, or my book reading history with it, was there was one time on a family road trip where my mom had the book, and she was like, "Let's try something new," and she she decided to read it to us as we were driving, and I think we got maybe to them going to him going to the train or something and everyone in the car was like I think that's enough I don't think we need to to continue with this and I would have been Good like God. so is it us is it I, just something about our maybe like, where we grew up like something in the water <laughs> I've read the the first three books to to my kid at, at bedtime now so I have read them the first three at least and I'm sure I'll continue um but I, I even reading it now, maybe it's because it's so overhyped. It's uh, everywhere, and I was expecting more. But reading it, I was like, I am having a hard time caring about any of this. <laughs> like the characters. Oh, careful who you say. Yeah, it to. I know. There's also a lot of like fat shaming in it, which is it, maybe it's just a different era now. But reading it, I was really struck with that, especially in these early books. Well, yeah, that stuff changes fast, yeah. right? But the author is in a whole bunch of hot water now because she's uh, she can't, she's not very pro-trans rights. Yeah, she, she just can't shut up about it. Yeah, that's that might be the bigger <laughs> problem. But yeah, that kind of stuff aside, just the world that they've created, I just, I mean, I've like there are a lot of magical worlds I'm a big fan of, and for whatever reason, that one just didn't hit, and that's that's my that's that's why that one's up at number three because I'm worried about getting like rotten fruit thrown at me. Well, I feel like uh, we may be coming back to some of this topic later, but uh, let's just call that a tease for now. Yeah. All right. My what's your number two? My number two is Stargate. The entire franchise. Don't get it. Eh. No interest in it. I know you've watched like the whole. The franchise, right? Not the whole thing. I mean, I, I I have a soft spot for the movie, but I really liked the the SG One show, and then, and there's a lot of it. There's ten seasons and a couple of major TV movies. So uh, I can't say I, I've watched an entire episode 
of of it, and it, it went on. How long did it go for? Like eleven years? Something like that. Yeah, and then there are a couple of, pardon me, there are a couple of spinoff series too. Yeah, and I'm aware of it all. I saw commercials all the time, but something about the commercials for the TV show, like the the TV show, is the stuff where I'm gonna focus on. But they're just I found them kind of repellent. The commercials, it just it nothing about it drew me in. And and I, so I've never watched it, and I know it's got a huge fan base, and and obviously it was doing something right. It, there's not many sci-fi series that s- stay on the air that long, so I, especially I back in the day where they had like twenty, thirty episodes a season. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Like no Star Trek series on its own ever lasted that long. Like their yeah. record length is seven seasons, and and I think that's plenty. That's usually when they start to hit their you know best before date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No, SG One is is great. I I have said I have described in the past that SG One, in terms of the like the the craft of making a television show, is I consider the spiritual successor to Next Generation. Every like whenever I turn on an episode of SG One, there is almost always like an interesting sci-fi thing happening with a little bit of adventure and some character stuff, and it most of the time wraps up neatly in 44 minutes and I have a good time like pretty much throughout the 10 years I I I really I really enjoy that show that does sound appealing on some level although I've had a hard time with other shows that are supposed to be spiritual successors to next gen it's a it's a tough road to hoe is that the expression it's it's a a tough path to follow because next gen is is the peak it's the pinnacle i i think i have a hard time thinking about it in those terms when the sg1 guys seem at least in the commercials and stuff so militarized and next gen is an action show it's an adventure show like let's not kid ourselves they've got phasers and laser guns and all that stuff but on the face of it they're supposed to be explorers and they're supposed to be like professional scientists and and yeah it's it's definitely a different approach but ooh see that's tricky because now you're thinking like i i tend to divorce that from like yeah they're definitely us army and if you look at it that way it's definitely got some rah rah michael bay style like army porn right you know these are the the proud men and women of the us air force saving the world i mean the but i don't the original like, movie i don't consider Oh yeah, the original movie is yeah. It, it, the original movie doesn't have much to do with the show. Okay, don't worry about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I divorce the the U.S. Army as seen in in Stargate from the real U.S. Army for a variety of reasons <laughs> that we don't need to go into because it is a politically sensitive time for everyone. I don't consider that worthy of my attention when I'm examining the show. I don't think of it. How is this portraying the you know the Americans in uniform? That doesn't matter to me. Uh, what I'm interested in is these four guys and the weirdo aliens they meet and all the cool pseudo-Egyptian stuff that comes into it and the, like, the the constant, like, so this is what, like, so there were gods, but actually it was just science and alien magic and stuff that they do. I love Thor in that show. Thor is great. Who's Thor? Like it, Thor is a little gray, like a little gray man alien. But oh. he's also Thor, and Thor all along was this this gray, like, and, and it's just like, and and their their ships are shaped like big Mjolnir's and stuff, uh, like 
I just I love that stuff. I, I think it's great. So uh, and the, and and you know MacGyver is hilarious in it. He's constantly a riot. Right. I've enjoyed and, what I've seen of him in clips and and little scenes from the show that I've caught. Yep. Um, and it's it's lighthearted. Like it's mostly episodic. Sometimes there are a couple two parters. A season will usually loosely follow an arc, so you can have like an exciting bigger thing happen. But it, and then you just have cool sci-fi space stories. And like, like at the at, at the end of the day, like even if it seems like a filler episode, it's like yeah, let's dial the Stargate to some new planet and let's go here and see what happens. Oh, and this planet has robot us's on it. What do we do now? <laughs> Is it and take off from there? Is it is it smart sci-fi? Like I, I feel like that's one of the things that set Next Gen apart. That the so many of the episodes are actually smart sci-fi. They're smart plots with smart resolutions, and they they actually have some sort of science fiction integrity to them. I don't I don't even know if that's if I that makes sense. But they're like I, hard. I know sci-fi. what you mean. I would say that, that it's a it's a much more casual right. for sure. It's it, it like the the science fiction rarely goes be like the explanation for it rarely goes beyond what if. What if this? Oh. And that's fine. Like it's yeah, it's it's you're definitely watching it more for like the again the characters and the action than for science. For uh, science, but yeah, I mean, we've we've gotten way into the weeds on this one because it's something we disagree on. I give SG One a, a chance. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I've got a collector's edition box of all the discs. I know. Um, give us give us the elevator pitch on Atlantis and the universe. Like what sets them apart from SG One. Stargate Universe is if Voyager and Battlestar Galactica had a baby. Okay, interesting. That's it exactly. And Atlantis is halfway between the two, and also Jewel State is on it. <laughs> well, it, my it felt like again a lot of my knowledge of the show just comes from seeing commercials, but it felt like Atlantis kind of became a weekly sci-fi convention where people who had become famous from other sci-fi properties that were no longer running would show up for oh, an even, episode or two. Yeah, even by the end of SG-1, yeah. It's like they, they just mine Vancouver for every <laughs> actor who's there. And it's it's like half the show. It's like a Firefly slash Battlestar slash Farscape cast reunion. And isn't like they could just have, isn't a friend of the show, Robert Picardo, in uh, in an episode? Or isn't he a regular? Or am yeah, I yeah. Okay. Yeah, John Delancey, too. Oh my god! Now you're selling John, me. <laughs> John Delancey plays like the he's like the the version of the X Files smoking man, but he's John Delancey, oh, so it's a lot more fun. So good. All right, well I guess that's my number two. Oh, that means I have to go to my number two, huh? <laughs> <laughs> my number one and number two are both things I'm gonna. I'm worried I'm gonna get in trouble for, and I'm trying to figure out which <laughs> one's more severe. <laughs> oh boy! Like if you if you didn't think we'd get in trouble for Harry Potter. So, my number two, I think the Millennium Falcon is stupid. <laughs> that is what... <laughs> That's I think what it's stupid. I think it's stupid. Oh, I, I, like, I think it, visually, I don't like how it looks, and I think it's misused over the course of the movies, and it doesn't make any sense, and I've always thought that, and I've... And, it's it, and it's become one of the like iconic ships of the Star Wars universe, and I think it's dumb and doesn't make any sense. Okay, well, <sighs> let me let me say, for as someone who does like the Millennium Falcon, I think a lot of the the charm of it just comes from its its uh, crew, 
you know, Han Solo and, and Lando and Luke and Leia and Chewie, they make it what it is, really. And I also think it's a unique shape, which is always hard to, to nail when it comes to spaceships. And so it's iconic on the, for that reason. But go on, okay, what are yeah, the it's, it's, problems it's, with it? It, so the concept of the Millennium Falcon when it's introduced is it's like it's it's the space equivalent of like it's a guy who owns a van basically it's it's a freighter it's a transport for boxes and okay this guy is a smuggler so it's been illegally modified so we can hide stuff in it and it's fast <laughs> and fine and that making him sound like uh, Chris Farley's character from Saturday Night Live you make Han Solo sound like he's living in a van down by the river well that's what he is at the start of A New Hope. <laughs> That he's just some dirty guy living in a van with his buddy. Right. Who owes a bunch of money to criminals because he doesn't have his shit together. And that works out fine for A New Hope. But then starting in Empire, when they get into the Hoff asteroid field and all of a sudden it's doing barrel rolls and like loop-de-loops and flicked... And then by Return of the Jedi, it's leading the fighter assault in the Battle of Endor. It's like all of a sudden this ship became like the Defiant. Right. Like all of a, like it, it was a truck, but now it's this heavily armed gunship, and that doesn't make any sense to me. And I think they missed an opportunity. I think it would be a lot more interesting if you play with the idea that yeah, all these like all these superpowers have these giant star destroyers and stuff, but this is just a guy's van. And even then, like the one thing it has, like, apparently it also has super thick shields and really powerful guns and all this other shit, but the, the one thing it's supposed to do is that it goes fast and fine. We bought, but how did Han Solo get it to be that way? We never see any indication that Han or Chewie have any idea what they're doing. Like, they're not engineers. Right. Right? We only ever see them trying to, like, do anything to it in Empire when they're trying to repair it and they can't. They can't even get it to take off until R2-D2 fixes it for them, and they still can't get the hyperdrive working until they get it to, to Lando, where he, like, his real technicians can fix it. So what, what, at what point did this truck become such a cool hot rod? Like, they, they, don't, they don't know what to do with it. And it's, they sort of address it by, like, okay, it used to belong to Lando, and Han picked it up from him, but how the hell did he keep it running? You know, you, you make some great points. I've never thought about any of that, but that makes a lot of sense. And, and I do think it speaks to something that I've been thinking about lately in, in fiction, especially long-running fiction, where characters and objects, they, it's not enough that they're just cool characters that we like. They suddenly have to be legendary or the best in the world at certain things. And it, it's like, there's a it happens in Next Generation, where... All of a sudden, in one episode, Captain Picard is a legendary pilot and gets them out of that asteroid field. And it's like the only time it's mentioned, and it just feels unnecessary. It's like, just let him be a really good captain. He doesn't have to be the best pilot, too. He doesn't also have to... He doesn't have to be everything. And it's that's a problem yeah, with, he, it, in superhero comics, too, where the characters, the longer they run, suddenly they it's not enough that they're just superheroes. They also have to be super smart and super talented at all these other things. It's like, just, just yeah, the, the Millennium Fa Right, the Millennium Falcon could have been really interesting, and it's like, yeah, this is the really fast ship, but you don't want to get into a dogfight with it because it's still a truck. Right, it, if if yeah. a truck is getting chased by like I don't know what the equivalent would be like what F F sixteens or something, it's not going to shoot them down. <laughs> and then like I mean, by the time you get to the sequels, when Ray and Finn are you know like, like and, and it's this super death ship, 
and they even kind of they call it out in the, like at, uh, in Last Jedi when it, it leads away all the First Order ships and Finn like yeah they hate that ship. It's like well why? It's it's designed to move boxes around. How did it become this thing? It just and it's always bugged me that this this hunk of junk they, like right. you needed to do more to establish why it wasn't. And again, also as a guy who's really into ship designs, I just I just don't like the ship design. The, <laughs> Like the what it's the 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 common like it's an urban legend I think but that it, it, the idea was that it's a bur- it's a burger with a bite taken out of it and an olive sitting on the side <laughs> yeah I just I don't I don't like it it doesn't seem logical to me it doesn't seem reasonable even with the solo story redesign where they fill in the mandibles for no reason I just it just it it isn't a ship I'm attracted to and the ship never <laughs> makes any sense to me and I'm kind of bored of it it does it does suit the character more especially in a new hope to have him being sort of lying about how great the ship is and it's it's like but we then as the an ship audience does turn out yeah we as an audience and the writers were duped by him too and it actually became the legendary ship that he was selling it as right now, like now he's flying it in between fleets of star destroyers and they're crashing into each other trying to catch him it's like I just, when did that happen and I know what you're saying, that, like, the characters reflect the ship and all that, but I just mean specifically the ship. I, I mean, I don't like it, and I think it was critically misused, and the, and the franchise could have been more improved if they had used it properly. That's my, that's my number two, and that is going to catch some flack. All right, well, I'm going to... I'm preparing myself. I'm preparing myself all episode, because I, I think... I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to you, but I expect uh, I'm going to get yelled at a bit here. Um, my number one is the entire genre of fantasy. Oof, that is a... <laughs> that's a broad call-out. <laughs> Look, if you got anime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. That's, that's reasonable. <laughs> I... I've tried. I try reading others. I like the Game of Thrones books. They're they're probably the only thing that's really worked for me in fantasy. Other than that, The Hobbit was was fine. I've never gotten through the Lord of the Rings books. I, the movies kind of fall apart for me by the end. Um, I just I I really love Mass Effect and its sister series, Dragon Age, has never done a thing for me. It's it's a realm that I just can't get into. I don't like magic. It feels like a cheat and, and a, a quick plot contrivance to, to fix problems. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's different versions of fantasy. There's high fantasy and low fantasy. Even that really doesn't do it for me, like the Conan sword and sorcery stuff. I want to like it, but I've never really clicked with it. I, 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 that's the short answer. I just don't like yeah, fantasy. That's, that's a pretty broad, and yeah, for a geek, that's like the whole, like all of it. That's woof. Now the, the plus side of that means that I, I cuts off a whole thing for me to need to know about. I could just be like, sorry, don't, <laughs> don't like fantasy, and just save some I'm time. Safe, yeah. yeah, fourteen books of Wheel of Time. Yeah. No, thank you. No. <laughs> oh, pass. Well, I mean, I don't think you need to hear my counter-arguments to that. Um, because you know them, because you've been hearing them all your life. <laughs> Magic swords are awesome, and knights are are wicked, <laughs> and wizards can do cool stuff. Um, and some of my favorite storytelling takes place in fantasy... Like in fantasy worlds where, like, heroism and 
like you know, personal like willpower gets immediately reflected through like just like, like things that we take like, as religion or myth become real and just walk around every day is it's is are they very often our worlds I would prefer to be in than the one we live in now. Um, and it's there are so many different fantasy franchises and series and such. I mean, I don't think any of this is news to you, <laughs> um, but I can't like. I, look, I, I don't understand why. Like, certainly, why would I would not prefer our world to many of those worlds because of how much I love them, and I don't, I don't understand how someone else couldn't feel the same way. I'll take air conditioning and socialized medicine over uh, over sword and sorcery. I think is that it? Like you're <laughs> you're looking at it? No, like you're like. Like, you're the kind of guy who watches He-Man and is like, well, where are the bathrooms? No, well, no. There's... Like, who built Castle Grayskull? The architecture here just does not make any sense. I got a lot of other problems with uh, with He-Man, but those those rank pretty low before uh, I'll hit them. Um, I think the problem is I, I don't like the highfalutinness of it a lot of the time. Like, the everything's a little too grandiose for me. And and really, the biggest problem I have is is the magic of it all. I I just don't it, it. I turn off my brain as soon as the magic starts happening because it's just I I need I need it to be a, a little more. I need there to be more of a reason for it. Like like as soon as you introduce magic, then then people seem to be able to do anything for any reason without consequence. It takes away some of the the danger or the peril that the characters are in because I know they can just magic their way out of it. And I know you can say the same sort of stuff about sci-fi, but at least there has to be some sort of grounded reason for it. Like there's has to be story reasons for it. But with magic, you can just say Oh, and and by the way, the sword this guy got earlier—it can also teleport goats, and goats are what we need in this setting. I'm really tired. I'm sorry that analogy didn't it's work a terrible at all. Analogy, yeah, but <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I mean, a lot of really good fantasy like spends a lot of time establishing their magic system and how it works and what the consequences are. Um, like I don't know. Like I'm not going to go into. Well, maybe you're just reading bad fantasy, but. But like I mean, ugh, God damn it! And of course, the first thing that comes to mind is Wheel of Time, and I was just making fun of it. <laughs> but like the entire crux of what's going on in that world is that there's this other force, like like there's gravity and magnetism, and there's also the it's I think it's the source in that one. And the, a, a lot of that series is what it means to dip into that power and use it to manifest magic in the world, and what the consequences are, and how it affects you and people around you, and that's. Like as a metaphor for like technology and stuff, I've always found that fascinating. I, I mean, I, I definitely hear what you're saying about kind of crappier like Saturday morning cartoon magic. You know, where wizard casts a spell, now you're a frog, right? But some like really in depth fantasy, like that's is a big that's a big part of it, and I just. I, I want to recommend all this stuff to you that you would absolutely not enjoy, so I don't know how to solve this <laughs> well, dilemma. The other thing is I feel like I've got this backlog of books to read, so anything that you recommend that's fantasy is is not going to jump up higher on the list. It's not going to bud ahead of anything else, unfortunately. So I don't know that there's uh, that it's a, a good use of time recommending stuff. But for our audience, please give give us a list of stuff that, that they should be checking out. 
oh god, like the the fantasy I like to read. I mean, like the Crondor stuff, starting with Magician. Those were great. I mean, the Wheel of Time is a nightmare to read, but deals with some really interesting concepts. Um, the David Gemmel stuff, particularly the Regante books, uh, are pretty light on magic as far as it goes. It definitely deals with them more like you know through the like the perspective of a witch, where like half of the quote unquote magic is just medicine, but it's it's still in there. There's still ghosts and spells. That stuff is really good. Uh, I wish I could see my bookshelf from here because I know there's more. Um, and I mean, and the Tolkien stuff, um, which also deals with magic in a pretty loose. Like it's not as direct as everybody throwing fireballs at each other all the time. I think handles it really well too. Um, but even outside, I mean, we're, we're zeroing in on magic. But even outside of that, like just like like swords and armor and bows and arrows and stuff, it's just. It's not your bag, and I don't think I'm going to be able to point out, like, one example where it's like, yeah, see, here's where swords are really, really cool, and you're going to look at it and go, oh, now I understand. Well, I think it also comes down to something in our fundamental differences in what we appreciate in in fiction and things like that. Like, I... I appreciate the look of a ship, but I really don't care how it works. I, I don't care how the phaser works. I don't care about the mechanics of a lot of these things. So so a magic sword and how it's held and what it looks like doesn't really do it for me. Like, to me, one sword is the same as another. I know there are a bunch of different types of swords, and I... I but like, but it them. feels like you... It feels like you made the opposite argument, though. Like, you don't care how the phaser works. It just it shoots a bright red laser beam at people, and that's fine. So why do you care how a fireball works? Because the phaser, I understand. There's a grounding in reality with it. Like, there's different settings on it. I get I get that. But I don't need to know more than that. I, 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 there just has to be some sort of grounding in reality to it for me. And I know Star Trek, I'm sure there's a million examples of how they break their own rules about phasers but at least for me there's a headcanon for it whereas a magic staff or you know a, a crossbow with x number of bolts in it it just I, I i get so i my eyes are getting heavy just thinking about it Oof. <laughs> yeah then i can't i can't help you there that's we should move on before uh, i jeopardize our friendship <laughs> now, listen, I, I respect your choices, but th- that is that is a broad net you've cast. Okay, well, if we're moving on, <laughs> yeah, my number one actually has some overlap with yours, and uh, this is another one of those ones where it's like, I'm not comfortable revealing this opinion to the community. <laughs> okay. So, the Lord of the Rings, the extended edition movies... I think they're better than the book. Really? Really? Because yep. you're you uh, you are a Tolkien I, guy, right? You've read a bunch I'm of a his huge stuff. I've read almost all of his stuff. There are a lot of things the movies do wrong, and there's a lot of things that between that are like that are left out that I wish were in there. And there's a, like there are two very different products. But if I want to, exp- if I say to myself, I want to experience that world again and those characters again, I would rather watch the movies then read the book when you're like i got and that nine is not to ten hours to kill what am i gonna do <laughs> i think it's closer to 14 hours uh, are you so... counting the hobbit in there too no i think it's a lot of hours um doesn't matter i mean it's not like you're reading the book any quicker yeah uh look but this is blasphemy in the geek community J.R. tolkien is a god and his writings are the holy book 
And a lot of people are aggressive towards the movies for all kinds of reasons. I think the movies do a hundred little things better than the book. And I think what it comes down to is that the book is kind of written from the perspective of, like, retelling the, like a legend. And that's why there's a lot of, like, a lot of the songs and a lot of the poetry in it is there to sort of help establish the fantastical nature of what it is. Whereas the movies are telling a story. Uh, and because it's a story, it has a much more clearly defined sort of beginning, middle, and end, and it has much more interesting characters. And almost across the board, I like the versions of the characters in the movies better than the characters in the books. And that'll get you killed on certain places on the internet. I, I think, like, Aragorn is Aragorn's the perfect example. In the books, they meet this mysterious ranger... Um, but they get a letter from Gandalf saying that he's a good guy, and then they get to the Council of Elrond, and it turns out he's the king, and here's your sword, and now he's this plain, like, hero for the next two and a half novels. And, I mean, I, I'm a guy who can appreciate a simple hero. I'm a big Optimus Prime fan. Like, like, the, the, like you can always count on Book Aragorn to do the right thing, to say the right thing, and to win the fight. Sam Beckett but that's, from Quantum Leap. There you go. But that's it. And as a consequence of that, I find Aragorn in the book completely uninteresting. Like, that's it. That's his whole character. In the movie, Viggo Mortensen's Aragorn is, like, reluctant and nervous. He, like, he doesn't want to be king. He doesn't want to be put into a position where he could be, like, repeat Isildur's folly, like, with the ring. He doesn't, like, he doesn't want any of that, and he sort of has to be talked into it, and, like, he, he doesn't know about the responsibility, and, like, we see, like, at Helm's Deep, where it's like, no, this is what I want to do. I'm just gonna stand here with my buddies, and we're gonna fight, even though I really should be doing more than this. Like, his gradual acceptance and his like, taking on that mantle is so much more interesting to watch than, and then he was the king, and then he was right, and then he was right, <laughs> and then he was heroic, and then he was heroic. Like, it just, nothing happens. And, and all of, like, all of stuff is like this Boromir. Like, in the books, he dies, like, I don't know what you call it in a book, but he dies off camera. Like, off page? Just, and, yeah, off page. Whereas in the movie, I mean, he, he like, even after he dies in Fellowship and then the following movies where you learn more about his family and more about his situation and you really start to, like, understand where he's coming from, that he's had all this pressure on him, that he's, like, he's been positioned as, like, the only thing, like, standing between, like, you know, his people and total annihilation of his entire species, and he knows he's not up for it. He's doing his best, but there just seems to be no way to win, and he's trying so hard. And you learn about some of this stuff like through the flashbacks with with Faramir and with Denethor later on, and it just makes his like even after he's died, it makes his death so much more tragic. Like the character becomes so three D compared to what he is in the books, and the movies do that really well. So, so in the books, does he in in the movie anyway? He he kind of gets redeemed. At the last minute, he does some some cool some. He saves Frodo, right? Yeah, that's still kind of happening. Like he still fights the orcs, but they don't go into making him a good character. He's there as an example of like the ring can poison your mind, and that's pretty much it. Okay. And then on the and that's the side of the argument where it's the things that the movie does better. Then you have all the people who are like, well, but the movies leave so much out. Like, what about Tom Bombadil? 
Isn't and is he honest? Did he make it into the extended cuts? No. No. Okay. And frankly, like if if you read the Lord of the Rings and you tell me you liked Tom Bombadil, I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't. Can you explain Tom, Tom Bombadil to our less fantasy literate? Well, no, because no one can explain Tom Bombadil, because they asked Tolkien about it, and even he said, well, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, who knows what it, Tom Bombadil is a character early in Fellowship, so, like, if you've seen the movies, think, like, when they, like, they've got the ring and they've left the Shire now, and they run into this weird forest gnome I guess, like, like who talks in poetry and rhymes, but he might be God um, or nature or something. And it's like, like one of the key moments is Frodo gives him the ring and he plays with it and it doesn't do anything to him and it gives it back to Frodo. And you're reading the book, you're like, I thought the ring was the most important thing in the universe. Like and the most corrupt and Frodo and like, like and even Frodo can't carry like it's so no he just gives it to this guy and this guy's like yeah whatever it's a ring, and then later on they're like hey maybe we should give the ring to to Tom Bombadil since it seems like like he's apparently immortal and invincible and doesn't care about the, and I think Gandalf's answer is like no we can't give it to him because he wouldn't care about it and he might lose it or something, huh? And it's like what what the f- <laughs> what. what? What the fuck is that? What does that mean about anything? No, like, man, screw Tom Bombadil. <laughs> and similarly, the scouring of the Shire. In the Lord of the Rings books, after they've destroyed the ring, after everyone said their heartfelt goodbyes, the hobbits go back to the Shire, and they find out that they get back, the Shire's been taken over by a vastly deprecated Saruman, and they have to raise an army and overthrow him. What? And, yeah. So and there's a whole you, extra, like there's a whole extra plot arc after everything, where they like they sneak around the Shire and they like and the whole thing is like Tolkien had this thing coming home from like the World Wars about how like home has changed and like you can never go back home again. Ah. And this chapter sort of reflects that, and it's also and you hear this all the time, and it shows how much the hobbits have grown because now they're like they rise up to this threat, right? And they fight entirely on their own without men or dwarves or stuff. But it's like, I know the hobbits have grown because I've been paying attention. They've been growing for the last, you know, 1,400 pages of novel. At this point, it's just like, well, the story's over. Why is this still happening? Like, it doesn't... Wow. I felt that it didn't add anything. And, oh, but people will hate you if you say that. Because <laughs> this, this is Tolkien's vision, and it should have been there. It's like, well, what did it add? And, and, like the story doesn't change at all with that in there. And and personally, like when I'm watching something or reading uh, something, I, it happens more in movies. But when like the main plot thing, the thing that's been driving the movie, ends, like when that gets resolved, I'm like, I am, I'm, I'm done with this. The reason I was watching this is over. And when something else picks up after that, I'm always like, I don't, I don't care about this like I was done I'm out you lost me when you yeah. ended the, the it, plot imagine if in A New Hope like they blow up the Death Star Luke gets his medal and then he flies back to Tatooine and he finds out that Jabba the Hutt has taken over like Owen and Beru's farm and he decides to get all the other moisture farmers together and rise to show how much Luke has grown <laughs> to get them all together and they fight and they take back the moisture farm like who cares <laughs> He blew up the Death Star. Obviously, he's grown. Yeah. We've seen it. I just... Uh. So, yeah, I, I think it was a great idea to leave that out of the movies. I think it tells a better story. 
Now, admittedly, I mean, we could, I could go on about this for a while. We're already a little over time. Admittedly, there are some things in the movies I don't like to like the, the having the eye of Sauron be a literal searchlight, like like it's Metal Gear Solid, and they need to avoid the beam. I thought that was pretty dumb. Right. Like Frodo, like Frodo is like he comes off as a real whiny baby in the movie. <laughs> he's like he's older and stronger in the books. I miss that. Um, having the you know having the army of the dead win the battle at Pelennor Fields was ridiculous. Like there was that's a, not a in the books. Cop out. It, there in the books, he gets the army of the dead, and like they take over. Remember, they have to take over the ships to get there. Sort of. Yeah. The army of the dead. The army of the dead does that, and then Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas and a bunch of the other Rangers, the Grey Company, are the ones who ride to the rescue at Pelennor Field. Like that would have been awesome to see. I would have loved to see more Rangers, more Aragons. Bring it on. I'm t- the the ghost army stuff in the movies is where the movies lost me when I rewatched them a couple of years ago. I was like, this yeah, is this I, is such a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, they yeah, it was not handled well. Now Aragorn deserved way better. Um, but yeah, uh, there's so many other things. Got like Eowyn. Like people make such a fuss. Like like Eowyn getting credit for killing the Witch King is such a cool moment. In the books, it's sort of more merry, really, because he has the he, because he has the the barrow down the barrow blade, which is able to to, to sever Jesse, the Witch Jesse, King's something's happening to like power. And it's just like no, I think it's cooler that Eowyn gets credit for killing the Witch King. I just ah, it's you're not allowed to have this opinion. But I think the movies do that story better than than the books that do. Okay, and we we that's going to be unpopular. Weird. I'm I'm sticking. Now that I've said it and it's out there, and it feels good, and I'm sticking to it. All right. So, um, are you still listening to the show? Uh, do you want to tell us why you're not anymore? Um, <laughs> do you just want to go off and how crazy we are? Look, maybe we've deserved it, um, but maybe, maybe you also agree with us in some of these points. And if so, it would do our vulnerable hearts well to hear from from you. <laughs> but we'd like to hear from you anyway. Uh, Graham, how can they reach us? We have an email address, uh, geektop5 at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're on Twitter, at geektop5. <sighs> Jeez. <laughs> I, uh, I'm super nervous about having all this out there, and I'm hoping it's okay with you guys. Regardless of your thoughts, thank you for tuning in. It's, I mean, we really appreciate all of you who listen to the show. And also special thanks, of course, to Jamie Reum, our musician-in-chief. Check him out uh, at Jamie Reum Official on YouTube or Jamie underscore Reum on Instagram. And be sure to check out his project at triviashmivia.com. Uh, he has some really cool virtual pub night stuff. It's really worth checking out. Uh, Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E if you're looking for it. Uh, Assuming we don't get canned, uh, we'll be back and talk to you more next week. Uh, But until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5, and we'll talk to you again next week.